0: This is Rochelle MN Shaw. You're listening to Books Are Like Onions, episode 3, Writing What You Don't Know. This episode and previous ones can be found on my website at rochellemnshaw.com/podcast as well as through the Google Play Store and iTunes. It's been nearly 10 years now since my husband and I moved to Eastern Pennsylvania. In that time, the area's heavy snowfalls, beautiful rolling hills, and strange intersections have definitely grown on us. Both of us originate from a small town in central Indiana, one that unfortunately was among those hit by the tornadoes that recently swept through the Midwest. It's a place where there's pretty much a cornfield and church on every corner, and if there's not, there's something terribly wrong. The streets are also perfectly aligned grids, so you never get lost. When I first heard about the wreckage, it was startling, to say the least. Though thankful no one I knew died or suffered a great deal of damage to their property, I was still reminded of my roots, my ties to the area. It was also a humbling moment for me. After all, my experiences growing up there have helped shape me into who I am today. For those of you living in a different state or a different country from where you originally grew up, you probably have a sense of comfort in both locations, a sense of home. You might be wondering why that is. How can two different places both feel like home? Well, I have a theory. We humans are creatures of habit. Naturally, we're drawn to things and places we're most familiar with. We like routines, and we like knowing what's going to happen. If our schedules are upended, we tend to resist, to hold on to how we think things should be, rather than embracing how they actually are. Writing habits are a lot like that. Many of us tend to stick with topics we know and to weave in experiences we've already had. Over time, we hold on to the same style. Most writers start off by writing that way, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I know I certainly got my start by doing so. But there's a dangerous mindset that emerges when you refuse to explore new things as a writer, and that's this. If I don't push myself, I can't fail. Well, that's true, but where it leads in the end is to a downward spiral to stale writing. Simply put, to grow, we must try. To succeed, we must first fail. Though none of us like to accept it, at some point we all hit a wall in our writing. We find ourselves running in circles, trying to come up with a new storyline that we haven't already written a hundred times. Sometimes we even have trouble finding that spark, that thing that really made us passionate about getting words on the page. What's the solution then? Well, it's the one thing we tend to dread, change. See, books do something really cool that we don't always think about. They actually transport us to other worlds so we can experience things without suffering the same long-lasting consequences that might result in real life. That is so awesome. And that's probably what you expect when you read a book, right? Well, the downside to that is uh, because of those expectations, readers don't just want change, they crave it. In a typical character arc, the protagonist won't be the same at the beginning of the story as they are at the end. Readers know that. It's one of the reasons why they actually care about the character and want to keep reading to find out what happens. So, what does this tell us as writers? Well, we need to adapt our approach. Sometimes that means diving into uncomfortable or uncharted territory. We can't possibly take our readers on the journey they're craving if we aren't willing to take those risks ourselves. So, to help, here are a few ways to write about the unknown, to get better at it, and to make it realistic. First one is a no-brainer, research. One great way to research is to interview people who have been through the experience you're trying to write about. Maybe your book incorporates a medical condition, or perhaps you're writing a crime novel that deals frequently with law enforcement. Those are two areas where readers absolutely will call you out on your errors, especially in particular genres. If you're part of a writing group, chances are the people you've already encountered can help you out. They may have experience in the area you're writing about, or if not, perhaps they know somebody who does. If you're not part of a writing group, check with your friends, family members, and co-workers. Chances are one of them has a connection. Another way to research is by scouring books at your local library or reading articles online. Be careful, though. Reliable resources are a must if you go this route. Not everything you read on the internet is true. I know. Shocking. Needless to say, you'll want to check your information carefully before using it in a story. You should also be careful to credit the source in your book if you need to, particularly if you're writing nonfiction. The same holds true for interviews. A brief acknowledgement in the front or back matter of your book can be a great way to say thank you. Last, if you're lucky enough to do so, if you have the funds, traveling to the area you hope to write about, if it takes place in a very specific location, that is, is an excellent way to get a feel for the culture and environment. This holds true for realistic fiction and urban fiction in particular. If you're writing something in the fantasy genre, you obviously won't be able to visit the world, but you can still research any materials, animals, plants, and other items that might be used throughout your book. If you include an animal that can't survive in the environment you create, for instance, that's a problem. So make sure your details line up in advance. Here's my second tip for writing about the unknown. Look for inspiration, or let it find you. This past winter, my area of the country was hit with a crazy snowstorm that left hundreds of commuters stranded on the highway, my husband included. Now, normally, this isn't an issue. The town is really good about staying on top of clearing the roadways and keeping them prepped before storms hit to keep the ridiculous amount of traffic that we already have moving. On this particular occasion, the roads weren't treated at all, or at least not very well and that resulted in numerous wrecks and bumper-to-bumper traffic for hours. As you can imagine, the news and local media went haywire trying to cover everything, and one thing they captured happened to be a camel, yes, a camel, trotting down Route 309 right in the middle of a snow squall. Okay, you have that picture in your head? So, 309 isn't just a dinky back road. It's a major highway that almost everyone travels on around here just to get from one town to the next. It's literally in the middle of everything. So having a camel just strolling down the road in the middle of the snowstorm nonetheless was quite a sight to behold. It even caught the attention of some of the national news stations. It was just a very strange thing. I'll link to the story in my show notes for those of you interested, but you can also just do a Google search and you'll find it pretty easily. There are also a few hilarious videos of this out there, too, Uh, but just be warned, some of them aren't really safe for work. So, that said, you never know when inspiration for a good story might pop up. And if wandering camels aren't your thing, or you don't have inspiration waiting for you at the end of the street, another great way to find it is to read books by authors who already write in the genre you're attempting. The example I'm going to share today is one that's inspired me for as long as I can remember. It's from Edgar Allan Poe's short story, Berenice. It is one of the more violent and descriptive pieces he's written, though, um, just to warn you. So if you've never read it and you happen to be squeamish or you aren't a fan of horror, then I'll encourage you to skip past this part. I'll also include a link to this work in my show notes, uh, but you can just do a search for it, as I believe most, if not all, of his works are now public domain. Before I get to the example... Poe is easily one of my all-time favorite authors. He does a fantastic job of creating vivid imagery and just beautiful musical prose that really sticks with you for a long time. I chose this piece for its horrific acts, um, which includes something that most of us can't even fathom doing to another human being. Nonetheless, it's a great example of how capable we are to write things that are so impactful, even if we've never experienced those things ourselves. The example I'm about to read comes from the very last two paragraphs in the story. Just to give you a rundown of what it's about, it follows a man who is obsessed with this woman's teeth. She has a degenerative disease that causes her beauty to fade quickly once she starts dying. The only thing that remains intact, pristinely so in fact, is her teeth. The man obsesses over this and is all he can focus on. By the end of the story, he snaps and does something so gruesome that not even he is aware of what he's done. So, let's find out what happens. There came a light tap at the library door, and pale as the tenant of a tomb, a menial entered upon tiptoe. His looks were wild with terror, and he spoke to me in a voice tremulous, husky and very low. What said he? Some broken sentences I heard. He told of a wild cry disturbing the silence of the night of the gathering together of the household, of a search in the direction of the sound. And then his tones grew thrillingly distinct as he whispered me of a violated grave, of a disfigured body, enshrouded, yet still breathing, still palpitating, still alive. He pointed to my garments. They were muddy and clotted with gore. I spoke not, and he took me gently by the hand. It was indented with the impress of human nails. He directed my attention to some object against the wall. I looked at it for some minutes. It was a spade. With a shriek, I bounded to the table and grasped the box that lay upon it. But I could not force it open, and in my tremor it slipped from my hands and fell heavily and burst into pieces. And from it, with a rattling sound, there rolled out some instruments of dental surgery, intermingled with thirty-two small, white, and ivory-looking substances that were scattered to and fro about the floor. Now, this is quite a disturbing piece, as one might expect coming from The Master of Horror. But he shows something that is so awful, so horrible, that it makes your skin curl just thinking about it. To remove another human being's teeth while they're still alive and fighting you is a dark subject matter indeed. But what's so brilliant about his approach is he doesn't exactly show the act, the process of mutilation, Poe alludes to the idea in order to delve into the psyche of the man committing the crime. The fact that he was able to portray that kind of story without ever having experienced it himself is really captivating to me, as awful as that might sound. It shows that sometimes if you take that bold step and you just go for something, even if you think that it's beyond your skills, beyond your expertise, that you actually can achieve that and make that connection with readers. That doesn't mean you have to sit down and write such a graphic scene or anything to be bold. I'm not saying that. It just means that sometimes it's worth the risk of exploring a new subject matter, even if we aren't completely confident that we can tackle it. Now, along with reading, must come writing. Another great method to use when delving into the world of the unknown is to practice writing your scene. Go ahead and get that crappy first draft out of your system. Give yourself a pep talk and accept that things won't be perfect right away, nor should they be. This is new territory you're exploring. No writer I know ever gets things right the first time, even on things they're familiar with, let alone on things they're not. The fourth tip I have is to get feedback from others, especially experts in the area you're writing about. While you hopefully gleaned insight into how the scene should be written through the research stage, It never hurts to get a second pair of eyes after you're done drafting the story. This is where beta readers and sensitivity readers really come in handy. They can tell you if what you have on the page first makes sense, and they can also tell you if the way you've approached an issue or a subject is in any way offensive, especially to a specific group or set of readers that are part of your target audience. This is where sensitivity readers come in, and if you aren't already familiar with them, they're really looking for issues that hit on Cultural inaccuracies or bias, stereotypes, things that would really give readers a negative experience and leave a lasting impression on them, not in a good way. I've had to use both beta readers and sensitivity readers, particularly for my Porcelain Souls series, to make sure I wasn't doing a disservice to several different groups. There are also elements that are crucial to the books, such as the Chinese mythology that I've incorporated and I have to make sure that I'm going about it in the most respectful way possible while still sticking true to my storyline and characters. I've also entered into the unknown for some of my more recent works, like the short story Sisters. It follows the lives of two siblings growing up in the World War I and World War II eras. Over time, their bond is tested, and their relationship is really strained with the hardships that they've suffered in their families. Eventually, the story follows them as they're older and, you know, they've grown through their lives together to see how they've coped with that and how the relationship has really stood the test of time. The thing is, I don't actually have any siblings, so I can't use that kind of experience to draw on from personally. I'm also obviously not elderly. So I had to rely heavily on my beta readers for that story, knowing that pigging the relationship between the two sisters was essential in getting the story right. Another women's fiction piece of mine that will be released sometime in the coming months is Michael's Cry. It's about a young woman who is a new mother, and she's really having a hard time bonding with her son. She's going through postpartum depression. And she is struggling just to do the daily tasks and, you know, kind of function and get on with her life after having a baby. When I first drafted the story, I was in college. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I had zero experience with a situation like that. So I was trying to write from the perspective of this new mom dealing with monster challenges. And I had no clue what I was doing. But I tried my hand at it anyway. I knew it was a story that would resonate well with readers, even if it wasn't totally ready to share. So over the years, I've shaped it and tweaked it, some through my own experiences and others through friends I've talked to. And now it's morphed into a really beautiful story that I'm pretty proud of. That kind of thing is what taking the plunge as a writer is all about. Sometimes you have to be bold and confident, even if you're terrified. My last tip is simply to keep trying. I know it might seem like an uphill battle trying to improve on something when you have no clue what you're doing, but you will get better at it, I promise. Just think back to the early days in your writing career when those random ideas came to you, perhaps all jumbled in your head, and you had to figure out how to translate that into words. Or maybe you're in that stage now, where you're just learning how to write. The only way to get better at something is to keep trying there's a reason for the saying, practice makes perfect. Even if you never reach the level of perfection you're after, which from personal experience I can tell you is a pretty hard thing to do, you'll still improve. Also, don't compare your work to other writers. It's tempting to do that. It's perfectly normal. But no one has the same mind you do. No one can write your story because no one has the same experiences and more importantly, nobody sees the story as you do. Use that to your advantage. Go at your own pace and be proud of the progress you make, no matter how slowly or quickly that comes. There's an awesome quote by George Isles that I have posted in my office. It says, whoever ceases to be a student has never been a student. My whole life, this quote has rung true. I've been writing since I was six and still continually find ways to improve my craft. I've even been working as an editor for nearly a decade. Some might call that enough to be an expert, but I honestly don't see myself that way. I always have room to grow and new things to learn. I still get things wrong from time to time. It just comes with the territory. And part of improving as a writer means stepping into murky waters, whether that's exploring a new genre or dipping my toes into a subject matter I've never tackled. I'd strongly encourage new writers and seasoned writers alike to do the same. In the end, you'll be rewarded for your perseverance. Remember, if there is no movement, no growth, your writing will eventually grow stale and lead to failure. Think of it as a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. They can work in a positive or a negative way. It's good to have a solid foundation in writing by starting with what you know, what you're most familiar with. But sometimes being bold and taking chances can lead to endless new possibilities maybe even ones that will land you that perfect manuscript that wins you an award. You just have to be willing to take risks and go about it in the smartest way possible. You can find show notes for this episode and others on my website at rochellemnshaw.com slash podcast. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback and any tips you may have for improvement. You can reach me on my website or by emailing me at rmns at rochellemnshaw.com. You can also find me on your favorite social media site. Join me next time for episode four, Beating Writer's Block. Until then, happy writing and thank you for listening to the podcast, Books Are Like Onions.